0: the punch out we're following the news all day so you don't have to giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be and yes we are back here on the punch out 29th of july 2021 very happy to be back with you as we always are and we've got plenty for you here on the show as we always do We're going to be talking about how the Fight for 15 movement has won $150 billion in wage hikes for workers. We're going to be talking about communists in Russia who are facing some political bans and other turmoil there. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to start with the ongoing political quagmire in Haiti. Well, Haiti's new de facto prime minister... Dr. Ariel Henry has vowed this week to hold elections as quickly as possible, quote-unquote. Elections were originally scheduled for September, and Henry did not clarify when as quick as possible could be. So elections, it seems, could happen either before or after they were supposed to in what was a previous calendar set up by the now assassinated president, Jovenel Moïse. The move by Henri is sure to deepen divisions in the country as his constitutionally illegitimate government is moving to elections that are opposed by the vast majority of social, political and religious groups in the country, which make up the majority of a vast political opposition that has been leading huge protests across the country since earlier this year. Henri's pledge certainly does show that his government is very much in step with the U.S., France, Canada, the Organization of American States, and other major powers that really essentially control Haiti. They have been pushing for elections aggressively since the recently assassinated de facto President Jovenel Moise overstayed his term back in February, in fact. These powers had backed Jovenel's government, despite the fact he had ruled by decree for a year prior to February, dissolved the parliament, and thrown the judiciary into disarray. Clearly, they didn't want to switch horses, but were uncomfortable with just the clear abrogation of democracy being perpetrated by Jovenel that had been accompanied by a serious erosion of the public safety environment as his government struggled against disintegration with its clear lack of a popular mandate. So elections would be able to restore this fig leaf that they were really backing some sort of democratic government. And opponents of the elections, really, as I said before, just about the vast majority of organized groups in the country and certainly the masses of people out in the streets, have noted that elections really couldn't happen at this moment in time. I mean, certainly that they're constitutionally illegal has also been pointed out, but that there really is no proper infrastructure to even carry out an election. And really what these forces are calling for is a deeper dialogue between various social sectors and organizations to pave the way for a new process of elections that's more founded in what people actually want to see there in the country where people have been clamoring for massive change. The technical challenges and widespread popular rejection of the idea of elections this year make it almost certain that if they do go ahead, the only role they will play will be to, as I stated earlier, provide a fig leaf of democracy to the current ruling forces since only the voters that they're able to hustle to the polls will vote. One Western demand that Jovenel Moïse had not really complied with at the time he was assassinated was their demand that he, quote unquote, broaden the field in the elections by essentially forming something of a coalition with a handful of other pro-Western opposition supporters, regardless of whether they had any real support among the population or not, but to again create more of a fig leaf that it looks like something that's a real democratic process. So the very fact that Henri is the prime minister is significant. Henri was an important player in the U.S.-backed coup of former President Jean-Bertrand Aristide in 2004 and has bounced around a number of political parties since then. Claude Joseph, who took over for Moyes, faced heavy pressure from the United States, his campus actually confirmed that, to the media to appoint Henri as prime minister, which Jovenel had been slated to do the day he was assassinated. Clearly, they see the installation of Henri as just the type of quote-unquote broadening of the ruling group there in the country that they have wanted ahead of elections. So Henri's announcement about elections and the determination to carry them out, as well as his very presence in the office of prime minister, attest to the fact that the current Haitian government is really a cipher for the policies of powerful nations and in total opposition to the popular movement that has brought millions to the streets with the support of the vast majority of political, civic, and religious organizations in Haiti. Most importantly for the people of Haiti, it means a continuation of the general policies of the Haitian governments that always gain favor in foreign capitals. The ones that don't get cooed out. And that agenda is resource extraction and labor exploitation with the profits flowing into the pockets of a handful of oligarchs in Haiti and, more significantly, a handful of oligarchs abroad. Undoubtedly, whoever wins the elections will continue the policies of Jovenel of further opening up Haiti's agricultural lands to export-oriented plantation agriculture and expanding sweatshop labor where Haitian companies subcontract for the world's largest brands, while continuing to provide no real access to health care, education, clean water, housing, or basic labor rights influential voices in the U.S. political discourse like the Washington Post have started to call for direct U.S. military intervention in Haiti, a prospect the Biden administration has not ruled out. So in sum, Haiti's de facto government and the so-called international community are clearly collaborating to make sure that the shock assassination of a president does not become an inflection point for real change. Pavel Grudenin, who came in second in Russia's 2018 presidential elections, has, for now, been barred from being a candidate for the Communist Party of the Russian Federation in upcoming parliamentary elections, drawing serious protests, of course, from the communists. The commission claims that Grudenin, head of a cooperative farm, has foreign financial holdings, which, under Russian electoral law, makes you ineligible to be a candidate. And this is a charge that Grudenin and the communists are denying vociferously. The ban follows attempts earlier this year by local authorities to try to privatize the Lenin collective farm that Grudenin heads up and other harassment that has been seen of various communist forces, who are the largest opposition bloc, by the way, in the parliament, the Duma. In February, for instance, in the Karelia region, communists were targeted for organizing events commemorating the former Soviet past, including the prosecution of an eighth grader for promoting a march. The communists are appealing the case around Grudenin's ban, so there could be a reversal here, but these actions taken in tandem seem designed to weaken Grudenin and the communists ahead of what could be the first elections without Vladimir Putin as a candidate since the turn of the century, coming up in 2024. Already united Russia, the ruling party, is seeing at least some erosion of its support, enough that Putin actually ran as an independent in 2018 to maintain a broad appeal. Electorally, the communist and the ultra-right, oddly named liberal Democrats, have been making electoral gains, and the liberal Western-oriented opposition of Alexei Navalny staged some of their largest protests recently. So in a post-Putin political environment, united Russia, which at the top is led by Russia's biggest elites, could face an unpredictable electoral outcome at the presidential level and clearly is using the apparatus of the state to try to curb the appeal of their opponents. For instance, last year, a popular liberal Democratic governor in the eastern part of the country was arrested, which sparked huge mass protests as well. All this political jockeying might not mean that much in the short term, but it does speak to the fact that Russia's political environment is not just one long, gray night. The very fact that all sorts of political forces, including communists, have enough of a possibility of real success in the Russian elections, the ones we're taught to consider a total sham here in the United States, that it's so much so that the authorities are seeking to use bans in the legal system to stop the momentum of these forces clearly speaks to the fact that it's much more layered and, in many ways, much more vibrant than the caricature that we are given. <laughs> Poverty wages remain common in America. But the struggle of workers to rectify that situation, popularly known as the Fight for 15 movement, has since its inception made big gains for workers by forcing minimum wage increases in states and localities around the United States. A new study from the National Employment Law Project reports that 26 million workers have benefited from wage increases pushed by the movement, winning over $150 billion a year in additional income for working people. The report further notes that 18 million of those 26 million workers were women, and 12 million were workers of color. Overall, the workers who have gained pay increases because of the Fight for 15 movement represent 16% of the workforce here in the United States. While these struggles don't always win increases to a $15 hour or more minimum wage... The report notes that the majority of the wage gains do come from increases to $15 an hour or more, accounting for 18 million workers, 69% of the total, and nearly $111 billion in additional income, 73% of the total. The average yearly increase for workers is $5,300, and notably for workers of color, that number was $5,900. Obviously, there's much more to be done as poverty wages continue to be more of the norm than the exception in the U.S., but it is a good reminder that the struggle by working people for what is rightfully theirs can have an impact. That's the punch out for today.